is good to be with you guys this evening, and always good to eat some Babe's fried chicken together, and look forward to the time of fellowship afterwards as well, but uh, I'm just thankful for you guys. It's been a joy for me to get to be with you um, a little more than normal this month, and uh, grateful for that opportunity, and grateful to be uh, able to open God's Word again tonight. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 26. It's probably not a text that you have recently heard a sermon on, I hope. Uh, obviously, that would be the hope, regardless of the text I was teaching. But uh, I want us to focus on a, a passage tonight that um, helps us to think about relationships. You know, most things can be destroyed much faster than they can be built. Now, some of the, the younger ones in the room tonight, maybe you spent a long time building something awesome out of Legos. Maybe like a Millennium Falcon or something, or something really cool, a Lego set that you had. And a younger sibling came along and destroyed it, like, in an instant. You know, you may think of examples from history. You know, I've, I've had the joy of traveling some internationally and uh, going to, to Europe. And one of the most beautiful cities in Europe that I've been to is, is Prague in the, the Czech Republic. And if you ask them, you know, you have so many beautiful old buildings it's almost their glory and their shame. Because if you ask them why, part of it is because they didn't fight back in World War II. And so they didn't bomb most of Prague, and so it's still there. But you go to other European cities, and there were buildings that took decades to build over centuries that were wiped out in an instant because of the destruction of war. You know, perhaps the most vivid depiction of this is the destruction of Hiroshima in World War II. About 60,000 out of the 90,000 buildings in that city destroyed in an instant through one bomb. You know, the same is true with human relationships. It takes time and intentionality to build them, but they can easily be destroyed. And so this evening, we're going to look at a passage that reminds us not of how to build relationships, but how they can be destroyed. We're going to see a recipe for rocky or ruined relationships. Now, obviously, we're not doing this tonight so we can get better at destroying relationships, right? This is a, a passage that's giving us a picture of what we don't want to be or shouldn't want to be, and it's helping us recognize things about ourselves that we would otherwise miss. So we're going to be focused on Proverbs chapter 26, verses 17 to 28 tonight. Now, if you are familiar with the book of Proverbs, you know its focus is on wisdom for the details of life. The book begins in verse 2, that it's written to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding. So Proverbs speaks to the nuts and bolts of life, the details of life, with great specificity and practicality. Christ is the ultimate picture of this wisdom lived out in day-to-day -day life. Colossians 2 says, Christ Himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ has all wisdom. He has revealed wisdom. And in His earthly life, He perfectly demonstrated the wisdom of God in great detail. You know, Proverbs are principles, not promises. Not every time in every situation do the principles of Proverbs come true, but they are generally true in God's world. But that doesn't mean they're isolated principles. They rest on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. You can't say, well, I just want to be better at this area of life, and so I'm going to listen to God's wisdom 
and I'm going to neglect this area because I don't really care about that. No, it's built on the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, this fear of the Lord, this respect and awe of God, this worshipful attitude towards Him, and a humble reception of His authority in our life is inseparable from wisdom. And so while we're going to talk about relationships with other people, the foundation of that must be our relationship with the Lord. So tonight, I hope that you will be equipped for better relationships with one another in your family, in your church, in your workplace, but ultimately that that flows out of the desire to honor the Lord. Now, our text is in a part of Proverbs that begins in verse Uh, 1 of chapter 25, which says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, transcribed. And chapter 26, in this section of the Proverbs of Solomon, focuses really on three different categories of people. If you read verses 1 to 12 of chapter 26, you'll see it's talking about the fool. And it gives characteristics of the fool, so we can recognize that if that's true of us or recognize it in others, or live in contrast to that. Verses 13 to 16 focus on the sluggard, the one who is lazy. And again, it gives characteristics of of the sluggard for our benefit. And, And verses 17 through the end of the chapter don't really identify a name of a type of person, like the fool or the sluggard, but they're giving the characteristics of one who has really destructive relationships, who's really prone to hurt others and to ruin the relationships that God has in their life. As we see these described, we're going to note five characteristics of those who destroy relationships. Again, we'll speak of them as Proverbs does, negatively, but we'll think about them some positively as well. So if you want to destroy relationships, it starts in in verse 17 with the commitment to stick your nose in other people's business. If you want to destroy relationships, stick your nose in other people's business. Look at verse 17. It says, like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. Now, one of the reasons that I I was drawn to this this particular text a number of years ago and in studying it was just the vivid nature of how he connects issues of life and relationships with things in our world. Uh, how many of you guys have a dog at home? We have a dog. It's a little dog, um, Agent, Agent 99, who was uh, born about 11 years ago or so, so she's slowing down. But my dog does not like it when I do certain things to her. One of those that I've never tried, but I'm assuming would go poorly, is if I grabbed her by the ears, right? That would not be good. And if you grabbed my dog by the ears, it would probably even go worse because she doesn't know you, although maybe not. Um, But he says, like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. The idea of meddling is to, to show oneself angry, to get upset about things, to get involved in strife that doesn't belong to you. The, the picture is of someone who is, um, is, is getting involved in a situation, kind of on the spur of the moment, passing by, and they choose to engage without the appropriate relationship that would warrant their involvement in that situation. Because that's like walking by and grabbing a dog by the ears. 
there is obviously times where we should engage with others if we are just passing by, right? So if you see, you know, two people about to fight, it's, it's good to be a peacemaker and to go and, and try to be helpful in that situation. So he's not saying that there are never times to get involved with others. There are times where our role or our relationship should lead us to engage in things with our spouse or our kids. If you're a fellow Christian who can play the role of a peacemaker or help bring reconciliation or you see a fellow believer sinning and as a pattern of life and it's right for you to go and confront them. But think how easy it is to simply meddle in others' business. You know, young kids are really good at this, right? They, they see their sibling doing something or maybe a couple of siblings doing something and, and they're real quick to go run and tell mom and dad, hey, this is what's going on that shouldn't happen. We're more subtle about that as adults, at least often we are. You know, it may be that we overhear a conversation and we, we start, you know, just digging around a little bit to find out what that was about when it really isn't something that pertains to us. Or we pick up on an issue between people and so we get together with one of them just to hear the juice and the dirt so that we can, can understand what that is. The reality is we need to train ourselves to stay in our own lane rather than meddling in strife not belonging to us. We can complicate and destroy relationships when we get too engaged in things that aren't ours. The reality is we also need to be careful about bringing others into our strife, not, not feeding the meddler, as it were. Proverbs 17.9 says, He who conceals a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates intimate friends. We'll see this again later in in the passage, but the the biblical principle of resolving conflict is that you should talk to the person you have a conflict with, not involve as many other people as possible so that they take your side and and agree with you that you're right in that conflict. So Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. You see, it's so easy to talk to everyone else about the issue except the one person we should be talking to. So deal biblically with the business that involves you, but, but don't stick your nose in other people's business. The second characteristic that we see of a relationship destroyer is never take responsibility when you hurt others. Never take responsibility when you hurt others. Look at verse 18 and 19. He says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, Was I not joking? He says, Like, like someone who is just a madman throwing grenades and arrows and, and causing death and destruction. We, we have a chance to do some axe throwing tonight. Hopefully it will be controlled and orderly, right? Not a madman running around throwing axes all over the place. That's not how that should work. But this is the picture of one who's just lobbing grenades and leaving a wake of destruction. He says, this is like the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, was I not joking? Now, now you'll notice that it's not simply that the person deceives the neighbor that leads, or that's compared to this destruction and the, the, the madman who's just wrecking havoc. Deception obviously is wrong and destructive in and of itself, 
But it says the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? I, I didn't mean anything by it. It, it really wasn't that bad. It wasn't, wasn't my intent to do that. We don't know the exact context of what Solomon is speaking of here. Maybe intentional deception intended to harm. Sometimes people do that. They're intentionally deceiving someone with the goal of hurting them. Maybe it's more of just a, a practical joke that went too far and, and that, that somebody was um, inadvertently causing more harm than they intended. But regardless, this person laughs it off. I was just joking. The reality is when we are wrong or we sin, whether it's intentionally and clearly wrong and sinning against someone with the intent even of hurting them, or whether it's inadvertent and we, it really did cause more harm than we expected or anticipated or meant, we need to own that sin. But rather than genuinely taking responsibility for one's sin, acknowledging it as sin, confessing the sin, and turning from the sin, it's so easy to simply excuse our sin. Say, you know, you, you just took it the wrong way. I, I didn't really mean it that way. I was only joking. It's easy in relationships with our spouse or with, with friends to get careless in how we talk or the things that we do. And when we hurt them or when we wrong them, to just try to walk it back. I, I, I didn't really mean that. The reality is this is destructive for relationships. And so often we destroy relationships not simply by what we do to hurt the other person. That's part of it but by how we respond when we do so. See the picture of the one who does great harm, who's lobbing grenades and leaving a wake of destruction, again, is not simply because of what was done initially, but because of that response. So men, take responsibility for your sin. Take responsibility when you hurt someone else, whether it was intentional and clear sin or unintentional uh, in your motives. Don't just say, I was only joking. Don't take it so hard. Say, I was wrong, and I shouldn't have done that, and I'm deeply sorry to have hurt you that way. If it's an issue of sin, we need to call it sin. You know, it's, it's so important if we're to grow in Christ-likeness and wisdom to have relationships that are characterized by forgiveness, not bitterness, and, and we help that process by not excusing our sin, but by confessing it in the manner that God calls us to. We need to call sin, sin. Not, I was frustrated and tired, but I was angry and bitter. Not, you just need to have thicker skin and, and don't worry about it, but I was harsh and didn't speak in a way that was gentle and gracious. Use the words the Bible does to, to describe what you did and in humility confess that knowing that that is what gives hope. Hope that you can be forgiven and will be and hope of reconciliation. <clears throat> Confess your sin to God and those you sinned against. Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. So then if you want to destroy relationships and dishonor God, make it a pattern to stick your nose in other people's business and to never take responsibility when you hurt others, to just say, yeah, I was really just joking. A third relationship destroyer is to give yourself to grumbling and gossip. Look at verse 
20. Verse 20 says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. He says, like, or for lack of wood, the fire goes out. Now, couldn't have a better illustration of this than the beautiful bonfire that's going to happen. Most of us, probably all of us, will be long gone before that fire goes out because that's a whole lot of wood, right? <laughs> but eventually, that fire, as much wood as there is, that fire's going to go out. Fire consumes the wood. If you don't add more wood to that fire, that fire will go out. I was reminded of this a number of years ago. Many of you lived in Texas for the, the snow apocalypse event that we had a while back when the, the, the freezing cold power went out. Our house, we had power for about five minutes every hour for about 24 hours or so. So it was uh, just enough to keep a few things running, but not enough to keep the house um, heated. And so we were all in our, our, um, our little family room with our fireplace and kids sleeping there, and, and we went through all the wood, firewood we had. And every couple hours, had to add more wood to that fire, or else that fire was going to go out. Nothing, he says, keeps the fire of contention going like someone continually adding fuel to that fire. He says, where there is no fire or no wood, the fire goes out, and where there's no whisperer, contention quiets down. Uh, a whisperer, some translate it as uh, a gossip, someone who is speaking negatively of others, somebody who is grumbling and complaining, not so much about the circumstances of life, but about the people in life. The, that fuels contention and strife in relationships. You see, without grumbling or complaining or gossip, contention or strife will go away like a fire going out. But when that strife is dying down, when that campfire is slowly settling, if you throw another log on that fire, another couple logs on that fire, it's going to roar back to life. That's what these things do. Strife can be dying down in a family or between friends or in a situation at work. And we can reignite that fire with just a little bit of grumbling about that other person. With a little complaining about that person. A little gossip about that person. And it roars back up. And this is so destructive. But how tempting it is to listen to and participate in those things. That seems so innocent. You know, like, like a dainty little morsel he, he describes as as something that is like, oh, we just we just like this a little bit. It's like a little fun-sized candy bar, a little brownie we got for dessert. It's just this dainty little thing. What harm does that do? He says the words of a whisperer, they're, they're like that dainty morsel that you just enjoy and you think it's no big deal. But the reality is it is a big deal. It, it is destructive. He says they go down into the innermost parts of of the body, those words and those thoughts about that other person, they they have an impact in our heart and our responses, and they lead to an increase in strife. Nothing re ruins relationships like starting to talk to others about that person in a negative way, grumbling, complaining, and gossiping. 
Just think about this in all the different categories of relationship in your life. Maybe think about it first with with your spouse. If you are in the habit of just grumbling a little bit, complaining a little bit about your wife, maybe it's to other friends, maybe it's under the guise of, I want help to know how to respond in this situation, but you just start talking negatively about your wife. It's going to show up in your relationship with her. It's going to affect that relationship. Or maybe you start just sharing little morsels about somebody in a complaining way who's in in a ministry you serve in a church or part of a group that you're involved in. That's going to bear fruit in destructive ways in that relationship. Maybe it's your kids. If, If you and your wife sit around talking all day about the struggles and the challenges that one of your children has or that they are, it's going to bear fruit in how you view that person. It's going to lead to contention. And that doesn't mean you can't talk about things that are real and issues. We just have to be so careful of how we go about that, that we are not fueling the fire of contention, but we are actively seeking to see that fire go out. Be so careful how you think about and talk about others in your life, whether that's your wife or your kids or your friends or your co-workers or other church members or church leadership. What should we do instead? Well, we need to cultivate grateful hearts. Even if someone else isn't all you wish they were, you can nonetheless be thankful for them. And we need to have hearts that believe the best about others. As 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, love believes all things. Not that it's naive, but it assumes the best of others. It, it believes the best of them, and, and we're careful what we say about others. So if you want to destroy relationships and dishonor God, stick your nose in other people's business. Never take responsibility when you hurt others. You give yourself to grumbling and gossip. The fourth characteristic we see in verses 23 to 27 is is to try to act nice while ignoring your heart. Try to act nice while ignoring your heart. Notice verse 23. It says, Like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross are burning lips and a wicked heart. He who hates disguises it with his lips, but he lays up deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed before the assembly. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. One commentator writes, in contrast to the previous verses, he says, If the quarreler stirs up strife and conflict, the deceiver tries to smooth over it with lies. He says this is like an earthen vessel overlaid with silver dross. Like a clay pot, picture maybe a a garden pot of some sort that's clay. If you cover that thing with silver, you now have what? A silver-covered clay pot. It's not a silver vessel. It just looks better than it did before. He, He says that's how some people are as they interact with others. They're just all about the exterior show of how they seek to interact with them. You know, if you take something that looks like a nice vase that's clay and you cover it with silver, you may think I have a nice silver vase, but the reality is 
You don't. You may not be able to tell a difference, but there is one. So it is with an evil, wicked, hateful heart. He says there are those who have a hateful heart, but they disguise it with their lips. They're deceptive in that they really think something about someone else and they have an evil intent towards them, but they are careful not to display that in how they talk. He says, for this kind of person, this deceiver, verse 25, when he speaks graciously, do not believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred covers itself with guile, his wickedness will be revealed. He says, this is the reality of of someone who outwardly speaks kindly and graciously, maybe just biding their time to stab someone in the back, or, or maybe they know they shouldn't act on what they're thinking in their heart, and so they're just careful to try to hold it back. Either way, they're not being deceptive, but genuine. And, and this verse says the reality will eventually show up. Now, this doesn't mean, then, that you should always say what you're thinking, right? This doesn't mean, well, just because this is in my heart, I should let it go out of my heart. That's not true. I feel hatred in my heart, so I might as well tell him what I think is a bad way to live. But it's, it, it's true that we should set a guard over our mouth that self-control in our speech is important, but that's not enough. It's not enough to just say, oh, I'm not going to say what I think to my wife or my kids or someone else. That's not godly character. That's a, a short-term effort to give you a window of time to deal with the issues in your heart. Matthew 12, 34, 37 says, You brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of the good treasure what is good. The evil man brings out of the evil treasure what is evil. It's not always instantaneous. Sometimes you can hold it in for a while with self-control because of other motivating factors in your life. But eventually the heart is going to come out in what we say. That's what this verse is saying. There are those who who try to outwardly act the way they should in relationship to others, while inwardly they're not dealing with their heart, and that eventually will come out. Again, this can be very deceptive and ill-intended. It can be uh, a, a really malicious perspective. You know, maybe that's somebody who's who's just not a believer, who is all in it for themselves. Maybe you've known people like that at work, or you have been that way, or are that way, where it's like, I'm just going to use what I say about others in order to ultimately get what I want, and I'll stab them in the back at the right time. But I think for many of us, oftentimes, this is not um, an intentional effort to harm others, but it's the fact that we're only focused on the outward behavior, and we're not doing the hard work of dealing with our hearts. Men, don't be somebody who is simply speaking graciously, but that's not the reality of your heart. Speak graciously, but cultivate a heart that is genuine in those desires so that that is a true reflection of who you are. Don't just be careful not to say things, just to think them. Instead, deal with things at the level of your heart and mind. Ultimately, 
these things come back to destroy our relationships and to destroy us. Look at verse 27. He says, He who digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone, it will come back on him. He says, when we live this way, we ultimately reap what you sow. This is one of the big principles of the book of Proverbs, of the wisdom of Solomon. It's that how you live, if you live as a fool, if you reject God's wisdom, eventually you will reap what you sow. doesn't always happen overnight. Just like when you plant a crop, it doesn't show up right away in, in that crop, but eventually you will reap what you sow. And so if we disregard the wisdom of God, even the other wisdom in this chapter, if you're lazy, if you're a sluggard, you reap what? You reap poverty. But if you're diligent, you reap the benefits of that. If you gossip and grumble, if you don't address the issues in your own heart, you will reap strife and broken relationships. But if you are gentle, patient, careful with your words, eager to focus on your own heart, you will reap good relationships. Focus on the right heart, on genuinely loving and preferring others. How do you change your heart? How do you cultivate the right attitudes and heart that goes along with the right outward behavior? Turn to Colossians chapter 3 briefly. I won't take a lot of time on this, but it's so important for us to understand how to not just put different fruit on the outside, but how to have that flow from a, a genuine root of love for Christ and, and inward heart change. Uh, I love Colossians 3, how it, it works through sins that we are to put off and the corresponding virtues that we're to put on. You notice in, in, um, in verse um, 5, it says we're to consider the members of our body as dead to certain sins, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Verse 8 says you're to put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Verse 11 talks about how we are to be renewed. We're being renewed uh, into the image of the one who created us in verse, verse 10, sorry. And then verse 12 says we're to put on a heart of compassion. How do we do that? How do we make sure we're not just for sticking fruit on the tree, but that we are actually cultivating a, a, a root that produces that fruit in genuine change. So this chapter gives us that model. I love it. It starts in verse 1 that says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, the only way to have a, a real fruitful life of genuine kindness and goodness and graciousness to others is to be a believer. You can't fake it. It has to flow out of new life in Christ. And it, it flows from a, a general perspective of life in, in verse 1. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So often we fail right there. We're living for self in this life. We're not seeking the things above. He says, no, if you're going to have real change, it comes from a new life and a new pursuit in this life of seeking Christ. Verse 2, it comes from a, a new mindset as well. See, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Again, that's not even getting to the specific details of one specific sin. It's just saying you have a new life, a new pursuit, you want to live for Christ, and you're actively setting your mind on the things above where, where Christ is. You're dwelling on those things. 
because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then he says to you, put off these things. Things like anger, wrath, malice. Those things that don't always show up outwardly, but they can just be stewing in our heart. Eventually they'll show up, but they can just be burning in there. We put those off. We don't allow those things to continue in our heart, but we renew our minds and our heart as we meditate on the truth of God's Word and as we carefully think about the desires that are fueling those things and we put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Guys, don't just focus on the outward behavior on the outward interactions. Again, think of the different relationships in your life. Your spouse, or your kids, your friends, your co-workers. Don't just outwardly try to treat them the way you think a Christian should treat them. Cultivate the right heart as you seek Christ and His glory, as you meditate on the truth of God's Word and actively renew your mind. So if you want to destroy relationships, stick your nose in other people's business, never take responsibility when you hurt others, give yourself to grumbling and gossip, try to act nice while ignoring your heart, and lastly, use your words to get what you want. Use your words to get what you want. Verse 28 says, A lying tongue hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Two kinds of speech are mentioned in this verse. A lying tongue and a flattering mouth. Flattery is one kind of lying. It's, it's a, a way that we can be deceptive towards others, telling them the things that we think they want to hear when they aren't in fact true or aren't our perspective. Lying is a, a broader category that certainly includes more than just flattery. And it says, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. The, the result of lying is it hurts others, it crushes others. Again, this can be a malicious lie intending to harm, or that wasn't necessarily the goal, but this is the reality of what it produces. And he says, a flattering mouth ultimately works ruin. Why do people lie, or why do they flatter others? Well, it generally flows from a self-centeredness to get what we want or to avoid some consequence that we don't want. Either way, it's about our desires. This kind of person uses their deceptive speech to get what they want or avoid what they don't want. It's how we manipulate to, to use our words so that others respond in the way that we would desire them too, but it leads to destruction, to crushing someone and ruin. If you approach relationships with others as a means of getting something for yourself, you will ultimately destroy that relationship. You will use your words to manipulate, to get the other person to think about you how you want them to, to get them to do things that you want or not do things that you don't want. You will use that person, and when they're no longer of value to you, you'll discard them and move on to someone else who better serves you and meets your needs. That's what the flatterer, what the one who speaks deception, ends up doing. The true friend, on the other hand, a, a true companion, uses their words not 
to get stuff for themselves, whether they're telling the truth or not, but they use their words to bless and benefit others. One chapter over, Proverbs 27, verse 6, says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What's he talking about? He says the, the, the words of a friend that may hurt us, lovingly telling us the truth, not hurting us in a malicious way, but are hard for us to hear, are for our good. But the person who just kisses us, who just tells us all the things we want to hear, ultimately that's not helpful to us. What a blessing to have a friend or a parent or a spouse who will lovingly tell you the truth, even when it's hard, when you might not want to hear it because they care about you. Even when they may not get something out of it, but they're willing to speak the truth to you. Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume makes the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Again, what a blessing to have a friend or parent or spouse you can trust that they have your best interest in mind. And so their counsel is not about what would be best for them, but it's about helping you to honor the Lord and what is best for you. That's how we should approach all of our relationships. With our spouse, we're not... We're not just saying things they want to hear so that we get something out of it or our life is better. With our kids, we're willing to speak the truth to them. We're willing to give them counsel that isn't so much about what's best for me, but it's genuinely what's best for them. Proverbs 27:17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That should be our goal in relationships, to, to sharpen one another, to benefit one another, not using our words for our own gain, but seeking to bless and strengthen others. Not stabbing one another with the sword of our tongue, but faithfully walking alongside, spurring one another on. And I hope that will be true of you. I hope we will speak the truth in love to one another. The truth about yourself, that you will be honest about yourself and your own struggles and your need for help and the things the Lord's doing in your life, that you will speak the truth about what you see in another's life as you seek to spur one another on to love Christ, that you won't use your words for your own gain, ultimately destroying others in the process as you lie or flatter, but you will be a genuine man of integrity who treats others the way Christ calls us to. Guys, the reality is relationships are difficult to build. It, it takes time and effort to build a good relationship with your kids or your wife, with friends, with co-workers, with others in the church. But they are easy to destroy. With our selfish and foolish hearts, may we embrace God's wisdom, the practical realities that God says about how we should think and how we should treat others. Not grabbing a dog by the ears and meddling in things that, that don't belong to us. Not hurting other people and just saying, yeah, I was just joking, it's no big deal. Now owning our sin, taking responsibility. Not fueling the fire and adding more contention by grumbling about others and, and gossiping about others, but being so careful what we say and to whom and guarding our own heart to cultivate gratitude. Not just trying to be outwardly nice while ignoring the realities of our heart, but genuinely seeking to grow 
in our love for others, in our, our gentleness towards them, our compassion towards them, all of those things, not harboring bitterness or jealousy or any other malicious attitude. And using, not using our words to get what we want, but to bless others. Proverbs 3, 13-15 says, How blessed is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. And I hope we will embrace this passage and this wisdom tonight. And I hope that will not just be a few principles in life to try to help us have better relationships, but it will be reflective of the overall pursuit of our life. To fear the Lord. To recognize God is God. And He has designed us and this world. And we live in His world. And we should live His way out of fear for Him, out of a respect for Him, and out of a love for Him. Because guys, the reality is, we all do all of these things. None of us are perfect in these areas or any other area of wisdom that God gives us. We're all sinners who fall short. And yet Christ perfectly lived out all of these things. And yet He went to the cross taking the punishment that our sins deserve. So that if we repent, if we confess our sins, that we are forgiven and we are credited with Christ's righteousness. And that only fuels us to love Him and to yearn for His wisdom all the more so that we can live faithfully in the details of life. And then may we be careful in our relationships this week. May we be careful in all of life to embrace the wisdom of God and to strive to live in accordance with His ways. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the vivid and practical ways that it speaks to the issues of life. Lord, these are realities that we have all been guilty of. Lord, we've all meddled where we don't need to. We've all minimized our own sin and failed to take full responsibility. We've all grumbled and gossiped about others. We've all ignored our heart while just focusing on the outside. We've all used our words in manipulative ways to get where we want. And Lord, we pray that You would help us to grow in these things, that what would characterize us is a, a love for You and a love for Your wisdom and an intentionality and care in how we treat others. Lord, forgive us for falling short of that and spur us on to greater likeness to You. And Lord, I pray that we would be so careful with the relationships You've given us. Lord, those of us that are parents with our kids and husbands with our wives and with the friends and other relationships in the body of Christ and with neighbors and co-workers, may we live in these ways and, and build deep relationships, godly relationships, rather than bringing destruction. Lord, we thank You and entrust the rest of our night to You. In Christ's name, Amen.